You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Welcome to the show. Bright and early it is on Tuesday, August the 23rd. There was a little drizzle here in TW11 last night, but temperature still very pleasant for this time of the year as we build towards what in Britain and Ireland is a relatively quiet weekend. Goodwood Celebration Mile has attracted a, a modest entry of just five with Mutasa Beck, the top rated horse there. And globally speaking, the race that you look forward to most is the Travers at Saratoga, which looks an absolute belter in the best three-year-old race of the season so far. We'll be looking ahead to that later in the week. Here in the UK today, some consternation that there is no flat racing. Right in the in the meat of the flat season, there is none. There are just three jumps fixtures. Jane Mangan joins me today. Jane, why is this? The reason behind this is an agreement between the BHA and the PJA to give flat jockeys a break for their welfare during the core of the flat season. They are giving three days off during the heart of the flat season. And uh, yeah, we have three jumps meetings then to essentially meet the criteria for the levy boards. So we've got Fontwell, Bangor and Worcester. The three of them combined attracting an entry total of 126. Fontwell, for instance, only 33 declarations for a seven race card. Is there a better way of doing this? Well, what do you think? I think you could look into having a flat card for apprentices only or flat card restricted to riders that haven't had X amount of winners this season. There is ways and means around it. Now, the question is, do the PGA obviously field jockeys need a break during the heart of the flat season? I'm not so sure. I I, I, I don't think uh, any, any jockey has to particularly ride every day. Now, I know the competitiveness is in them, but that, that that's just my opinion. If 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 you do, we do it in, in Ireland over jumps, you have uh, give other jockeys opportunities. You have races restricted to claimers or riders who haven't ridden 20 winners. And that work seems to work well. And the senior jockeys are the jockeys who are very, very busy get a break on any particular day but it is strange on such hard ground in the middle of the summer three jumps meetings where throughout this summer British jump racing has had a spate of small fields there doesn't seem to be the population of horses there to fill them so to have three you know uncompetitive meetings today is a little bit of a head scratcher it's it's unusual for August and I think it could be averted and give other riders an opportunity if you did put in certain criteria. Yeah, just on a point of the ground, I mean, the jumps courses would argue that they're all well ir- irrigated and they're all officially calling themselves good and there's been a bit of drizzle around. So it, there's no firm in any going descriptions, but the, you keep summer horses in training because you want a sound surface, not a soft one. That's true, but we've seen from the end of of the conclusion of last season over jumps that there has been an uncompetitive number of horses running in British flat or British national hunt races even. So why would it change today when there's three meetings on? Well, you might think that having no flat meetings on at 
quiet Tuesday. It's no big deal. We'll have three jump meetings instead. But the thing is, it's not really pleasing anyone, as uh, Ben Pauling has articulated in, in this morning's Racing Post, and he joins me now. Uh, ben, for those who haven't seen, just just give me your, your take on it. You're having a f- fantastic run with your, your summer jumpers as well. Yeah, no, it's it's been a great summer for us. We don't pride ourselves on having that many summer jumpers, but we've the ones we've had have, have been in great form, and it's, it's been a good start. So this idea of having three jumps meetings a day you'd have thought well you'd be you'd be quite up for that particularly with some nice easy opportunities why aren't you um i mean the industry as a whole you know we're getting upset about understandably about these small fields that we're encountering and you know we've got three meetings there today uh worcester which is relatively southern fontwell down in the south and banger you know, in Wales, but still not overly far from anyone from the south. And then we've got one meeting at Sedgefield there tomorrow. You know, surely would have made sense to have moved one of these meetings to tomorrow. And we've got actually no flat meetings at all. And you know, we've got a we've got a horse <clears throat> running in a two-runner novice chase at Worcester today for decent enough prize money. You know, and it's a two-horse race and. It's just not a great spectacle. As a, as an owner of one of my horses today, if you own one, if you own Imperial Night, if you're part of Midland Park, you probably think it's marvellous the fact that you've got a two-horse race and you've got a good chance of winning a novice chase with a horse rated in the 120 bracket. But it's it's not great for the industry and it's something that we need to sort out. Uh, ben, you've you've had a, a blistering start from your from your new base. Um, was was it? A, a deliberate ploy to have a few more summer horses to get the the numbers on the board and to get it rolling along quite quickly. Um, I think we've actually. I don't. I wouldn't know how many individual horses we've run. We don't go out to buy summer horses. We just had. A, you always end up with a few winter horses that maybe don't like the the, the softer ground. Um, and yes, I think. I think I don't think, I don't actually think we've had any more summer jumpers this year than we ever have. I think they've just been um, winning more frequently. I mean, we've had three or four have three timers, um, and that doesn't half help. Um, but it just we have noticed without being able to attribute, attribute it to anything more really than the move is is the horses just do seem to have improved for the move they um the yard that we designed is exceptionally well ventilated and everything is very healthy there's not been any sort of snotty nose or cough or anything like that and and ultimately training racehorses is easy when when they're healthy Trainer Ben Pauling there. Now, other news. Jane Kazoo, who have sponsored the Derby for two years at Epsom, have withdrawn their sponsorship, citing financial difficulties. They are contracted to maintain their sponsorship of the St. Ledger for 2022. But this is a, a rather short-lived and, and rather fruitless partnership with a with a big brand. And that will come as a big disappointment to all those at uh, the Jockey Club who have to get their thinking caps on again. Yes, after just 16 months, um, they're ending their association with arguably Britain's most famous race. Um, and as you say, it's, it's down to uh, experiencing serious commercial setbacks. Um, as a company, they will still be associated um, with other races, including some jockey club venues and the, the, the St. Ledger. But yeah, this is, this is big for, for, for the Derby itself. Um, 
the search will certainly be on Epsom Derby get serious coverage, ITV, racing TV all around the world. It's a whirlpool event. Um, and I hope that they, they get somebody suitable to lock in for a number of years, because after 16 months, it's a little bit disappointing when they did get serious coverage that they couldn't sustain it. Yeah, I think with all these sponsorships, they're, they're worth not much to you unless you unless you activate them properly. And I don't think you can just chuck some money at, at a sponsorship and say, put the name on it and hope that I hope that it, it has the desired effect. I think you really have to put your shoulder to the wheel and get in behind it. Yeah, well, I think with anything now and, and media and social media in particular is almost cluttered with branding, uh, product placement and different marketing tactics that maybe every brand has to think outside the box more so than just a billboard and your name on the jockey's britches. It has to be a little bit more capture the imagination and authentic and something original. And, and that's not just for kazoo, that's in general, if you're going to get value for money. I, I feel disappointed the jockey club have to go hunting, but it's not that long ago the Irish Champion Stakes didn't have a sponsor up until very recently when uh, the Royal Bahrain came came on board. So I I, I think it's a it's not just a, it's it's a problem in racing. These are big races; they're getting a lot of coverage. But it doesn't matter how big the races or how prestigious we think it is, they seem to be struggling to attract the right attention. All right, let's uh, talk about the the race that you've just been mentioning, the Royal Bahrain Irish Champion Stakes. It looks as though this could be France's biggest race of the year, uh, not on French soil. France probably are going to have more runners in the Irish Champion Stakes or the Royal Bahrain Irish Champion Stakes than Ireland, possibly more than Ireland and England combined. Two top-notch heroes, Sealaway is a heavyweight now confirmed for it as well. He's a Group 1 winner in his own right. Throw in Videni, throw in Onesto. We have... Hopefully an Appleby runner maybe will be native trail who need to bounce back from a disappointment in York. We'll have a Bally Doyle contender, probably Luxembourg, who will hopefully build on that Royal Whip win. And the Royal Bahrain Irish Champion Six begins to look like one of the races of the year. Is it possibly as good as the Ark? Well, here's the thing. Let's just ask ourselves the question as to what is the biggest challenge for Baid? Is it the arc is it the irish champion states well it's both obviously he should run in both he should run in everything they can run him in and and that's the end of that but if he does run in the irish champion stakes and comprehensively defeats Sealyway, ernesto vadeni luxembourg possibly baybridge probably not mishraf we'll come to that in a minute is he achieving less by doing that than he is by defeating maybe a japanese runner but we don't know in title holder the king george winner pile driver and Alpinista, it's arguable that the arc this year poses a greater challenge, even though it's over two furlongs further, than does the Irish Champion Stakes, or possibly even the Champion Stakes, if those aforementioned horses bowl up there. A lot of it is made of the trip a mile and a half, and I think he proved in the Judmont that when he has that much ability, when he is that good, trip becomes a little bit superfluous because he's got that extra ability in reserve and he does say that probably is um, that is probably contributing to the argument that the arc would be the ultimate test and we'd know forevermore if he was actually as good as his dad don't particularly agree with that i think the irish champion stakes is probably going to be as tough a race i think if he was to to, to retire to stud having won the irish champion stakes beating that lineup of horses it would do his commercial attractiveness no end of good. Yeah, although, I mean, he's a, 
he could do nothing else. His commercial attractiveness is assured, isn't it? I, I he could run in the he could, he could run in the Donkey Derby on Brighton Beach now. It wouldn't matter a toss, would it? From a commercial point of view, isn't it all about prestige now? Oh, I think you have to beat all of what's around. And I do think he hasn't faced these horses. And if he can put them to bed again, then it would definitely benefit him because you have to beat horses because he's not traveling. He's not going to France and hopefully he will come to Ireland, but he needs to beat foreign raiders and overseas horses. And this would be the perfect opportunity for him to do that. Does that actually make any difference to his stud value, though? I mean, I I would argue that it does. Could you actually could you put could you put another twenty five grand or another? And what's he worth now to stand at stud? A hundred, hundred and twenty five grand a throw first first season. I, you're you're the expert on these things. I don't I don't know where do you pitch him. I haven't a notion, and nor do I want to get sucked into putting a nomination fee on Baid. I think he's going to be popular regardless of what fee he is. But I think he could stand probably for more if he wins the Irish Champion Stakes because I think it would add more to his value than the British champion stakes probably run on soft ground at Ascot at the end of the year, which, let's be honest, would add nothing. Well, news of an exciting new addition to the training ranks in the UK. It'll be a a very familiar name to you. Ollie Sangster, yes, scion of that dynasty, son of Ben, grandson of Robert, and a man with already an awful lot of experience at a fairly tender age. Ollie, tell me what's the plan, where are you going to start training from, and when's it all going to kick off? I'm lucky, lucky enough to have the opportunity to, to get going at Manton there, um, which has obviously been the family base since 1984. Um, sort of, you know, start start small with what we can handle and, 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 and see how it goes from there, but it's nice to have access to the there's magnificent gallops and and obviously the gallops I know well. Yeah, really looking forward to it and grateful to have the opportunity. And what what sparked the the decision to to go now? Um, I think you can only be happy with what you've done. Um, I, I've been lucky to have worked with some really fantastic people over the last seven years. Most recently, I've done a really good sort of two year stint with Joseph O'Brien over there in Ireland. Um, he has a fantastic team, lots of good horses, good people. Um, he was very good to me. Um, and then I, I had a wonderful education there off Wesley in America. Um, um, and I suppose you can only be happy with the education you've had and hopefully put that into place and hopefully I get the chance to put it into practice now. You're, you're still in your mid-20s. Joseph O'Brien is only in his mid to late 20s and he's already trained a thousand winners. Did, did his um, get-up-and-go attitude inspire you that, that you, know, you were never really too young to take the plunge? I think very much so. Um, and, and, and Wesley definitely helped push me a bit. Um, he, he started training when he was 21, 22 um, after obviously being champion uh, jockey over there. Um, so... I think, look, it's, 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 it's hard to know exactly when the right time is, but, but, but I'm, I'm happy with the education I've had. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's the important part. And, and hopefully the rest will follow. So many members of your family have, have gone into so many different aspects of this, of this sport. But uh, am I right in thinking you're the first one to, to take out a license? For sure. Um, there's lots of us obviously still involved. Obviously, Dad, Dad's having a good year on the breeding front. Um, Luxembourg hopefully will be the, the flag bearer for that. Uh, Sam, my uncle, he, he's having a great year. Isaac Shelby was obviously very good on the July course. Um, Adam, successful down under with his stud there. Tornado's doing great. But, but, but definitely, I'm sort of the, the, the first of us to have been 
um, as hands-on in this regard and definitely from, from, from the training aspect of it, yeah. And, and to what extent do you think that time with Wesley Ward particularly is going to be, is going to be an advantage, just bringing a new dimension to, to, to the place? Uh, I, I hope it will stand me in good stead. You know, I, I, I learned a heck of a lot out there in a, in a relatively short amount of time. Um, he's a wonderful horseman, um, does things very differently to a lot of people over here in Europe. Um, and I think that can only perhaps be a good thing to have a new different dimension and, and have, have, have learned different different things. Um, and yeah, I still have a great relationship with him now. Um, and, and I'm grateful for the time I did there and yeah hopefully it'll stand me instead anyway and can bring a new new sort of dynamic to to to, to what i'm going to be doing here really yeah uh, every new young, new young trainer has a strategy of sorts when they start off what what's yours uh obviously you want to get every horse to run run to their best of their ability but but um i i think it would be foolish not to not to tap into what I learned there over there with Wesley, you know, he's a, he's a master of getting those those, those two year olds um, out early and running, and and obviously it's his success speaks for itself. So I think hopefully hopefully if I can I can have drawn a few things off of him there, that'll that'll stand me in good stead for getting horses out and running, and and, and obviously that's the way slightly the market's going here with with the desire for speed and precocity. So um, so hopefully that should be a sort of desirable enough thing there and, and and if i can replicate that in any way shape or form hopefully we'll have a bit of success there and, and self-evidently you know I, i'm ringing you because it's interesting that you're starting up training but it's clearly going to be of great interest internationally that a, a sangster is starting up training do you do you wear that pressure well uh, uh, i think i do look um ultimately i want i want people to support me on the back of on the back of what i've done um you know, I, I have really put the hard yards in and, 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 and work for some great people. I'm obviously aware that, that my surname will resonate with a lot of people and a lot of people have had luck with us and family over the years. And, and, and I obviously respect that and, and, and I appreciate it. So it's a bit of a weight to carry. But, but, but more importantly, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing this because, because I love the horses and because I'm happy with the education I've had. Um, but obviously any 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 opportunities that that come perhaps through through people wanting to get involved through through the name is is is, is no bad thing but 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 really hopefully i want people to support me off what i've done myself you know ollie sangster there who's the most eye-catching new recruits to the training ranks in the uk and you can bet your bottom dollar that he'll have some international aspirations as well now group one winning international trainer ado mcginnis has had I was going to say a wrap over the knuckles, but it's more a, a light feather over the knuckles. If I was to say he'd been in hot water, I'd be more accurate to say he's been in tepid water with the Irish authorities. But the the offence is a, is a significant one. Jane, this will take a little bit of explaining, but you're just the person to do it. What's been happening? Yes, yeah, so we go back to the Rocky and Handicap on the 26th of June. Uh, Mr McGuinness had been requested by the stewards to present Laugh a Minute for a post-race sample um, but the horse was never presented. Uh, there was obviously it was referred to the IHRB where evidence was heard from Dr. Lynn Hillier, the head of the anti-doping and uh, the IHRB's chief veterinary officer. And of course, Ada McGuinness himself. In her evidence, Dr. Hillier explained that the Rocky Handicap was one of the races on the day that was selected for pre-race testing. 
Uh, Dr. Hillier said that while taking a sample from last minute, she noticed a puncture with traces of blood on the horse, which concerned her as it appeared relatively recent. She noted the provisions of Rule 87D, uh, prohibiting any administration of substances on race day. She explained to the spendery steward, Peter Matthews, and uh, Mr. McGuinness, that uh, they subsequently discussed the matter and following race two on the day at this point, Mr. McGuinness explained that the horse had received a dofolite on the evening prior to the race. Dofolite can be a help hydrate the horse as he can be very nervous when traveling. And this was administered by his own veterinary surgeon who could be contacted. Dr. Hillier stated at 3.44 p.m., a member of the IHRB veterinary team contacted her to say that laugh a minute had not been presented for post-race sampling and that subsequently CCTV footage showed that Mr. McGuinness's three horses that contested the race left the stable yard at 3.31, so almost 15 minutes earlier. Having been asked to present the horse post-race after the Rockingham, which he finished 15th of 17, he did not. The horse had left the premises before the IHRB uh, realised. In his evidence, Mr. McGuinness accepted that the evidence was as given by Dr. Hillier and suggested that the matter was a complete breakdown of communication on the day. He said that Laugh a Minute was a very difficult horse, highly strong, and that is why he was administered with the Dufalite. And even before the race, Mr. McGuinness recalled that he had three runners on the day in question and that all three runners were running the same race. He accepted that he was told by Mr. Matthews and Dr. Hillier that the horse would be required for post-race testing but he said that he failed to relay this information to his staff that he felt that they would be informed by members of the IHRB veterinary or security team Mr McGuinness added that he put the saddles on the three horses for the race and so his engagement with the staff at this time was minimal and he was then dealing with owners and didn't return to the stable yard after the race so never questioned if the horse was post-race sampled he apologized and I think he is quite Lucky that got off with a 750 euro fine for that. Yes, I would concur. I think he's extremely fortunate. Now, there's nothing that I can say that uh, second guesses uh, Ado McGuinness, and he, he may be entirely, entirely right, and, and his testimony may be an entirely honest one. But that's really beside the point, Jane. If you're asked to take a dope test and you don't, then you are you are undermining the public's trust in the in the fabric and integrity of the sport full stop in addition i'm surprised that there wasn't a there wasn't something in place to prevent them just leaving before before that dope test had been had been secured why wasn't an official going down to the to the box and saying right that horse needs to come in here for a for a, for a test it's not like yeah. you're, you're not testing that many horses in the race uh, we often point the figure at the regulator, but here I, I think they had notified the trainer who should have communicated the matter. Uh, I'm a small bit surprised, given that we know from CCTV footage what time they left and how far they would realistically have gone, that they weren't requested to come back. 15 minutes, you could have turned around. I, 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 would, I would have thought that request might have gone in. Um, from the IHRB or that the trainer might volunteer that they turn the box around and bring him back. There'll be a lot of people taking a lot of different views to this. And as I said, I think he, he's got away lightly. If, if the IHRB took a different stance on it, it could be a different story. Um, some people will argue uh, that 
he finished 15th of 17 and it doesn't matter. It does matter. It's the whole principle of it. And it's a it's an unusual one and one that when I was reading it, I was expecting a bigger sum at the very bottom. Well, yesterday, the National Trainers Federation announced all the winners for the 2022 Lycett's Leadership and Lycett's Team Champion Awards. The awards celebrate British racehorse training yards with the highest standards of employee management and who demonstrate exceptional leadership skills, creating outstanding places to work. Obviously, their words, not mine, but th that won't matter to Nick Alexander, whose team has won the Lycett's Leadership Award and not for the first time either. Nick, um, how proud are you that your efforts and endeavours have been recognised in this way? Um, flattered, really. Yeah, no, it's great that we've we've got that recognition. It's down to everyone here, really, rather than just uh, me as a, as the team leader, as it were. But no, very flattered to receive it again. And what what systems are you putting in place in your workplace that you think sets you apart? I think it's uh, the way we keep the staff really informed and involved and included in everything that's going on whether that's race planning whether that's owners coming in whether that's veterinary issues whether that's uh new horses arriving horses leaving we we just really make sure we go to every effort to inform everyone at every level and i think that's that i think that's probably that's probably what makes us stand out but i'm sure other yards do the same do you think your own background, insofar as that you've you've had a career before and outside racing, do you think that has informed the way that you've gone about um, managing your workforce? Uh, definitely. Well, I, I think one of the things that we did in the fairly well, we did about three years ago, we switched to a five day week, um, just because I recognised that my staff were spending a lot of time a bit overtired and getting a bit cranky, and I think that um, switching to five day week, while it's given us uh, creates a bit of a headache for administration-wise to make sure that uh, we've got the right number of people in every day. I think that's been a, a massively beneficial move. And I think that slightly came from uh, having been involved in the rest of the world and seeing that actually, you know, uh, a 12 and a half day fortnight really isn't a practical working regime for the majority of people in the 21st century. And you can do that without it then costing you a lot of money and then that cost being incurred by your owners. You can make that work financially. Um, just. <laughs> they will still work a 40-hour week uh, prior to, and then they'll do overtime of the racing or whatever. But, but um, it's, uh, it, it's, yes, you have to have extra people to make it work. And that's the challenge that obviously most people face. And we, we're in a, an extent lucky in that a lot of our uh, staff live and uh, live up here and aren't sort of tempted by the better job offer next door because there isn't really anyone next door um uh so um i think you know that that's been a you do have to have extra people but 40 hour weeks are 40 hour week whichever way you press it up and nick it seems to me that from from what you're saying and the fact that you've you've won a a particular um part of this entitled inclusive recruitment and effective induction systems that much of what you do is about taking a more collegiate approach rather than a, a dictatorial one very much so yeah very much so we i try to i do try to genuinely involve everyone and try to get their input at every level i think at the end of the day that's that's very beneficial for the horses and very therefore very beneficial for the owners i mean it's about making sure people are really motivated about what they're doing the whole time and, and feeling that it, it matters rather than they're just sort of, you know, cogs in a wheel or 
whether that's the right way, or is it wheels in the cold, can't remember. Uh, so they, um, you know, it's, it's just making them feel motivated every time they come into work, which is hard, you know, particularly when the weather gets rough and stuff like that. But, but I'm just very lucky to have an excellent team of staff, really. Well, Tuesday is the day where we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's. You're getting um, a double this week because we're off to Germany later in the week. But I want to take you back, back to India, where first we um, connected with Amita Mira from the Usha Stud Farm maybe 18 months or so ago. And I'm very pleased to, to reconnect because Amita has just been awarded Champion Stud Farm for Bangalore summer season 2022 with 21 wins. Plus, Supernatural has been awarded Champion Racehorse of the of the season. Amita, not your f- first rodeo here, your seventh or eighth uh, title as, as Champion Stud Farm. Um, but how important is this one, particularly given the challenges we've had in the last couple of years? Yes, well, yes, it's, it's, I think it's my eighth um, championship, but I must tell you that there are two kinds of championships in India. One is an overall all-India championship, which I got in March of this year, and this is the Bangalore Summer Championship, which is like the Summer Derby, you know, mm-hmm. which is a very important one. So the Bangalore Summer Season um, is an extremely important one because all the three-year-olds race together. The top three-year-olds come from all over the country because it's too hot anywhere else to race. And they all come to Bangalore, which has got lovely um, weather, and then they race together. And it's it's really a pointer to um, the Indian classics that come in winter again this, this year. So, uh, yes, if you have a horse like Supernatural winning the the Summer Derby, which is a, th- a race for three-year-olds, um, you know it's it's a pointer to the to the classics, um, you know that are that are going to come in the winter. So it's extremely extremely heartening to see that we've um, actually I came one two in the Indian in the Bangalore Derby and one two three in the Bangalore uh, one thousand guineas and won four in the Bangalore 2000 guineas so and won the St. Ledger so we I actually this is probably a record of some sorts because this is the first time that um, Usha Stad has swept all the four Bangalore classics the summer classics um, we've never done it before and I don't think any other stud farm has either so it's particularly heartening to see that your you know hard work day to day which you slog and you which is unnoticed actually translates into your horses um, performing really well so what's making everything click together at the moment what what's the what what's been the magic of the last couple of years i think it's it's a lot to do with um it's a lot to do with getting the small things right um you know god is in the details and i think it's it's a lot to do with um, some sort of planning that has happened in terms of you know segregating the yearlings which only are you know on one star farm the weanlings are on another farm and there are three different uh, set of managers and managements looking after each thing. So the brood mares and the stallions, the breeding operation is separated from the yearlings and the yearlings separated from the weanlings. So I think the fact that I've expanded the land base and also reorganized the management um, has really paid off. When you say when you say reorganize the management, you you brought in fresh talent, new talent to, to help you with the with the with the breeding operation. 
Um, yes, and not with the breeding operation, but with the young stock. Mm-hmm. I brought in new people, and I also, um, you know, uh, sort of went back and, and fine-tuned some of the practices that, and you know, rejuvenated them, which um, which is which which really translates in something very simple day to day. Um, that that actually has translated into the success because you see the stallions are multi-dimensional and uh, was already um, you know eight-time champion stallion of India so it's not that the stallion has suddenly changed of course speaking of which um, has had his best year this year which is his um, third crop and his first crop was really good but the second crop was a COVID crop so one could look at that as a bit of a dip. Um, but, uh, you know, the overall um, success of the of all the progenies, you know, we won 65% of the classics of, in, the, in, the, in the country. Um, these kind of statistics are not normal. So obviously something, we've done something different. You know, we've tried to, uh, to really work on um, going back to the basics. With, with horse rearing, it's always the simple things, the small things that count. And I can't obviously tell you all of the small things I've done. Some of them are <laughs> secret, but, you know, uh, in, in case my competitors are listening. But, you know, I can say that we've gone into every single detail, you know, whether it's paddocks or it's refurbishment or it's nutrition, you know, broadly everything. Uh, multi-dimensional you say has been a great success a, a horse that people will remember from from his time in in europe are you adding to your or looking to add to your your stallion roster in the next season or two yes that's an excellent question in fact aliens um oh, i bought deauville by galileo he's a group one um, horse from uh, he won the Belmont Derby. He's a Group Two winner at Ascot, and he's you know uh, run with Rip, Rip Chester, some of the top Rochester, some of the top horses. He's rated 121, the official rating, and um, uh, he he is he his first crop are weanlings this year, falls and weanlings this year, and this year I bought another stallion called Plumatic. Plumatic is by Dubawi. Um, he's also a Group 2 winner, multiple Group 2. So I have bought two new stallions. So Doville, who raced in the Jim and Fitry Hay colours for Aidan O'Brien and, and did very well both sides of the Atlantic, and, and Plumatic bringing that Dubawi sire line into, into yes. India. How, how influential do you think that could be looking at your batch of mares? I think that would be a quite a game changer because we know we don't have that line at all in India, certainly not my mares. And, um, you know, it would be a nice injection of uh, an outcross, which is so much needed because we do have a lot of Danehill, Northern Dancer, Danzig. Um, and uh, Dubai, we would go beautifully with, with those lines. So, um, yeah, really looking forward to that. And in a bid to internationalize, to, to make India more recognized on the, on the global stage, I gather there's some quite exciting news on a personal front. Yes. Well, I was invited by Kirsten Rousing to join the executive committee of the ITBF, the International Thoroughbred Breeders um, uh, Federation, and I will be joining from October this year. And I think one of the things that I really wanted to do was 
to try and open up India and internationalize our racing in terms of both having an international carnival of racing in India as also um, taking some of our top uh, horses to run outside. So I think my, my um, you know, this, this particular, what should I say, posting of mine has really will certainly help me to try and see how we can um, strategize to open Indian racing. It, it sounds as though this this recent flurry of success, not that you're a stranger to it, is. Um, I, I sounds like I find you in in particularly good form at the moment. Oh, yes, I, am. I have to say I am. Um, this, this 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 has been an unprecedented, spectacular success, and I think it's there for me to say to to, to take the next step. And it's also given me the courage to do so. You see, you know, you need to be on top of the game to be able to say, okay, let's go out and let's invite horses in. Um, and that's why I went and bought two stallions in a COVID year. One, Deauville was when COVID was on and nobody was buying anything. And uh, Plumatic has covered this year. He was bought last year. So really both have been in the two COVID years. Um, and um, yeah, and I'm, I'm hoping now with the new stock, with I'm going to Newmarket to buy some nice mares um, that we know we can up, upgrade the breeding um, stock that we have in India. Amitra, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for keeping us updated. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, thanks to all my guests today. Jane, do you have a tip for me for this afternoon? Funnily enough, Nick, I'm going to stay in Ireland because I like a little bit of each way. <laughs> yeah, good, good um, and I'm going to go for the, the bumper, the ladies' bumper in Belly's Town. Jody Tannen's having a great year, and John McConnell is as well. And not owned uh, is a currently second favourite for the Belly's Town bumper for John McConnell and Jody. And I think they might just conclude the card in what looks like a competitive evening at the track. All right, great stuff. Jane, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back to do it all over again tomorrow. That was Tuesday, the 23rd of August. Bye bye. <laughs>